0: You are listening to the Vineyard Nordic podcast. We invite you to join us on the exciting journey of following Jesus and bringing the kingdom of God wherever we go. This episode was recorded at the Vineyard Nordic summer camp. We're going to go on, carry on talking this evening about what a wonderful church looks like. Now, I became um, a Christian. I don't know what language you use. I invited Jesus to be a full part of my life 48 years ago next month. Those were the days when dinosaurs walked the earth and the hobbits were two a penny. But I don't think a day goes by from August 71 to this evening. (laughs) And just watching these people, that I don't wonder and marvel at what God has done for me and how amazing he is. I am honestly overwhelmed, and I don't know how we're going to get through. But basically, I just wonder at how amazing God is. I wonder and marvel, like John said this morning, that he is the creator. He made heaven and earth, the heavens declare the glory of God, let alone your lakes and your forests and all the beauty that we've seen. We saw last night's setting sun and we watched its rising moon. And the heavens declare the glory of God. He's the creator and yet he cares about me. I wonder and I marvel at the mercy that he has shown. Do you remember John Newton, that old slave owner and trader, amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And then I wonder and I marvel and I am so grateful for his authority. John talked about it this morning and I just find it such a relief to think that he is in control and that he has authority. And I don't care what the statistics say. I don't want to care what the critics say. I don't care what our gainsayers say. The Lord is on the throne, and nothing ever can dislodge him from that place. So that's why I wonder, and that's why being a part of the church is a wonderful thing. And we want to talk, John and I, over the course of today, tomorrow, and Wednesday, about what does a wonderful church look like. And quite honestly, between you and me, you know what I'm talking about. This is what I long that the vineyard should look like. This is what we discovered when we fell across the vineyard in 1981. This is what we've longed for ever since. This is what we're seeing even this evening reproduced. When I see these people here talking about their care for the poor, When I see a young man talking like he did about longing for the next thing, when I listen to a song that was just written this year about mothers and fathers and crying out that God would show to our children and to the next generation and the one after that, the things that he showed to us all those years ago, who can but wonder and marvel at the things that God is doing? John reminded us or taught us this morning that why we love this church, what is wonderful about the church is that it's a biblical church. I love to be part of a church that is essentially biblical. But secondly, and this evening, what I want to talk about is that the church, the wonderful church, and we long for it to be true of the Vineyard, is a spirit-filled church. And that is our theme. We are people of the word, and we're people of the spirit. The Vineyard is a global family of churches, and I think it was Matt's talk this evening about family. That's the first word that we think of. The Vineyard is a global family of churches that was born of the Holy Spirit. And you've heard the stories. Many of you heard the stories over and over. And I sometimes say to John, we can't tell the same story over and over. And he says, how many times do you listen to Wimber tell stories? How many times were you bored? Never. Because these are stories that speak of the goodness of God and on his mercy for the Vineyard and of his love for us. And I was thinking this evening as we sang that song, the verse that he said to us at the very beginning and reminds me all the time sing, because that's what we do. Sing of a fruitful vineyard. A fruitful vineyard. A fruitful vineyard that has produced all those new believers in Myanmar. A fruitful vineyard that is reproducing itself in churches in this part of the world. A fruitful vineyard that is going to the poor and the lost and the broken. A fruitful vineyard that is seeing marriages healed and children restored, and bodies healed and demons driven out. That's what a fruitful vineyard looks like. And Isaiah said, sing of a fruitful vineyard. I, the Lord, he said, watch over it. I guard it so that no harm may come to it. The Lord is with us, people. And these are wonderful, wonderful days. You've heard how the vineyard began in a back room in the little town of Yorba Linda. I mean, the funniest name ever. We never understood where it was. California, which we only knew from cowboy films, John Wayne and all that stuff. California was where it was born for reasons best known to the Lord himself. (laughs) They met in a back room... They were desperate, a little group of people, they were desperate. They were fed up. They were cross with each other. They were cross with the church. They'd been to Bible studies more than they could number. Prayer meetings that drove them mad. They were a bunch of Pharisees. They said it themselves. And yet in their desperation, they cried out. They cried out to God. And Wimber said, we discovered his presence. And his presence is his power. And that's what we want to talk about. But you see, that was then, but this is now. We heard stories last week of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on a conference of Vineyard people in the States that they haven't seen in 20 years. Fantastic outpouring of the Spirit. And another lot of them are meeting today in Denver, and the same Spirit of God is being poured out. And here we are among the forests of Sweden, expecting, waiting, longing... For an outpour. Are we not longing for an outpouring of the Spirit of God upon the vineyard yet again, more and more? I have a very dear friend, Penny Fulton, who is actually Carol Wimber's sister. And she and Bob used to travel with John and Carol all around the world. Many of you would have known them in years gone by. And I talked with Penny yesterday, Sunday afternoon, Saturday afternoon. And we just talked together. And she said, we are in a season. Of the Lord's favor. There is a season of the Lord's favor, people, and we are a part of it. The Holy Spirit is upon us, and he's longing to bless us as we gather in order to use us when we leave. We gather together to experience and to enjoy the Spirit, to love his presence, to revel in his company. Of course we do, but we also do this so that we can live every other day of our year in the power of his Spirit. That's who we are. We are people of his presence, and that's what we carry, because he has chosen to bless us with his Holy Spirit. Let me quote to you something that John Wimber said at the very beginning. I think we got it. He said this, and some of you will have heard it before. I think it's beautiful. Wimber said, and he was a humble, godly man, the vineyard is a mere thread in the global tapestry of the church but I believe it is a thread of God's weaving. Isn't that sweet? We don't aspire to be any more than we are. In the terms of church history, we're very new. In the terms of the universal church, we're very small. But we are a thread in the great tapestry that is the church, and we are a thread of God's choosing and of his weaving. Another of the great heroes of the vineyard world is a man called Don Williams. I think we have a quote that he gave us. He's probably the astutest, most gifted theological mind that God has given us within the movement. He's now very elderly, but continues to be very wonderful. He said this, God, they they do sometimes go together. Um, God has, (laughs) I choose to believe. God, what do you think? God has, concentrate, concentrate. Don't start thinking about age. God has given the vineyard a sacred trust. A solid biblical theology of the kingdom, living in the eschatological tension, the now and the not yet. That's the reality of where we live. Reliance on the power and gifts of the spirit for ministry in the context of church planting, and you people know about that, and building for mission. We've just seen that. And the call to warfare against all the powers of the darkness. That's who we are. That's what we do. But we have a sacred trust. God has given us something so precious and so particular and so peculiar to us, and that it's appropriate that we should rejoice and be glad in it. It's a wonderful church, and we call it, we'd like to call it, a vineyard church. And a vineyard church, a wonderful church, is a spirit-filled church. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, you will know it so well. Jesus came to him, to the disciples, and these were his final parting words. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Words of one syllable, pretty much. The last thing he said to his disciples before he went back to his father. And then, of course, Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Historically, the numbers of times when the Spirit of God has been pleased to come when everyone was together, all of one accord, all united, all ready for more. There's something about being here that is that. You are longing for more. You're eager for more. You're desperate for more. So am I. So are we. They were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and come to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Pentecost broke in and the church burst out. That's what happened when the Spirit of God came. And then Peter preached out of his skin. He was fearful, mortified, embarrassed, defeated. He'd experienced the power of the Holy Spirit suddenly and produced seemingly from nowhere the greatest sermon that had ever been preached. He had been changed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Verse 14 of chapter 2, Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Imagine the newfound confidence. Imagine the unprecedented boldness. He was a total pathetic failure and he became the most powerful preacher that there'd been. I mean, it's pretty cool stuff. It's wonderful stuff. And he said, let me explain this to you, my fellow Jews. Let me explain what's going on here. He said, in the last days, quoting of course Joel, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters, we sang about that, will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Men and women, brothers and sisters, we are in those days. That's what's going on historically. And the church was born. They said to him, what should we do? What should we do? We're desperate. What's going on here? They didn't know. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3000 were added to that number that day. Who of us wouldn't want to preach a sermon and see 3,000 people added to their church in a day? I mean, this was historic stuff. This was the bursting in, the breaking out of the Spirit of God, and the church was born. Because you and I, from all the nations that we've just heard called out, but my particular thinking is of my Nordic brothers and sisters, you and I you and we are direct descendants of those disciples who were first empowered in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. We need to experience the power of the Holy Spirit if we are to do what Jesus told them to do and then told them to teach other generations. And we're the direct descendants. We're the immediate inheritors. We're the next lot. I'm one lot and then these lovely chaps who are standing up here, they're the next lot. This is generation We just passed this thing on. This thing is never going to stop. But our joy is to be a part of it where we can. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to release the oppressed, to feed the hungry, to go to those prostitutes, to go to the broken and the addicts, to bind up the brokenhearted. Imagine the anguish of those people. To care for the poor, to feed the hungry, to look after the least, the lost and the lonely. We cannot do it in our own strength. We have to have the Holy Spirit. And all across this beautiful, beautiful land of yours, there are desperate people. Cities and villages full of desperate people who need Jesus and who need his people to go to them in the power of his Holy Spirit. Because you see, it's the Holy Spirit that catapults us out of our churches and onto our streets out into our offices and our schools and our neighborhoods, out of our pews and our pulpits and out onto our pavements. It's the Holy Spirit that puts that into us. He puts a spring in our step. He gives us a song to sing. He gives us a story to tell. He puts the wind in our sails and a song in our hearts. So, I hope I have persuaded you that the Holy Spirit is very good, very special, and very needed. (laughs) Because there are three well, I want to tell you just one or two things that particularly we need from him before we pray together. You see, the Holy Spirit confirms the truth. He confirms us in the truth. John chapter 16 and verse 13, Jesus' words When He, the Spirit of truth comes, which of course is what happened at Pentecost. Jesus was talking before that. He said, Jesus said, He will guide you into all the truth. The Spirit of God is our guide, and he leads us into what is true. And he leads us all the time back to the Scriptures. We have a wonderful theologian in our country. He's an Anglican priest and a great friend of the vineyard, a man called Simon Ponsonby. Some of you may have come across him. And he wrote this, the Scriptures lead me to be a charismatic. The Spirit leads me back to the Scriptures. Isn't that good? I'm going to say it again. It's so good. The scriptures lead me to be a charismatic and the spirit leads me back to the scriptures. Because you and I are required to use our brains. We need to think this stuff out. We need to work out our faith. We need to talk about it, learn about it, study it, be able to explain it. We need to use the little gray cells, the brains that God has given us, not unscrew them at the church door. We need explanations and we need experience. We cannot have one without the other. They're two sides of a coin. Explanations, the scriptures, and experience from the life and the wonderfulness of the Holy Spirit. And we need to stick to the scriptures and hold fast to the scriptures. We had a wonderful... um, Archbishop of Canterbury, the one before, this current one, a man called Rowan Williams, who's a very brilliant man, but he said with great simplicity, to understand the Scriptures, we need the Spirit. That's all he said. It's the Holy Spirit that anoints the memory of Scripture in our thinking and in our hearts. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers our ministry by confirming what's true. And the truth is, you and I are under constant fire people are arguing people are denying I read an article this afternoon in one of our main newspapers in in um, the UK decrying religion religion is dead The time is over it's irrational it's superstitious all the statistics are telling us blah 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 they should be here that would really persuade them and give them a problem But the truth is that we are under enormous fire. We are under great opposition. People are asking us to meddle with the scriptures, to compromise on the scriptures, to try and teach alternatively. The church, I listened to somebody else this week, the church needs to keep up with the times. The times need to come back to the scriptures. That's what they need to do. There was a wonderful um, writer, a a short story writer in America called, and she's now long dead, devout Roman Catholic, called Flannery O'Connor and I love this, she said, the truth does not change according to our ability to stomach it. Isn't that good? The truth does not change just because we don't like it. The truth does not change just because we can't digest its reality. The truth is the truth is the truth. It's absolute. And it's the scriptures that help to reassure us and it's the Holy Spirit through the scriptures that holds our feet to the fire that confirms us in the truth and steadies our nerve that's why we need the scriptures and that's why we need the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit convinces us of the truth the Holy Spirit changes things he changes things We're told in 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse six that S- Samuel prophesied over Saul. This was Saul in his good days. This was the early time. And Samuel said to Saul, the spirit of God will come upon you in power and you will be changed into a different person. Which of us has not come to life in Jesus and look back and seen that we were changed? Now, I never robbed banks, and I never did anything dreadfully lethal. I was actually a really tiresomely good little girl. But I used to, believe it or not, swear like a trooper. I had a vocabulary you wouldn't believe, and I could do it in Welsh, which was my mother's mother tongue, and she could swear in Welsh, and I never knew what it meant, so I swore like a trooper. In Welsh and in English, I was bilingual. (laughs) However, do you know, the day I came to Jesus, it all went. Couldn't do it. And I know that's silly and petty, but it's just a little example. Jesus changes things. He transforms situations. He changes lives. Peter was unrecognizably changed by the day of Pentecost. Samuel was true, right when he said this to Saul. There was a wonderful Archbishop of, um, Archbishop Cardinal Seunens, Archbishop of Belgium, during the 60s and 70s, when there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the Catholic Church. And he said, God writes extraordinary novels for those of us who are ready to play his game and are willing to open their lives to the unexpected actions of the Holy Spirit. We need to be ready. We need to be bold. We need to be brave. We need to be risk takers who will do all these things and look for the unexpected action of the Holy Spirit. I heard about a girl recently who had been to a class on listening to God. She wanted to know more about how to hear things from the Lord and then to put them into practice, okay? And she'd been to a class. We can learn all these things. We can get better all the time. Jesus taught his disciples, we need to learn how to pray for the sick better, how to listen to God better, how to cast out demons more effectively. It's all to be learned. Anyway, this little girl went to a class, and then she went at lunchtime to a local sandwich shop. And she was thinking, you know, I need to do some of the things that I've been learning, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, just as she was standing in a line waiting for her tuna sandwich, and the two people in front of her disappeared, they suddenly changed their mind and left. She had gone. And she found herself face to face with a girl behind the, the counter in the sandwich shop. And before she knew any better, she found herself, she heard herself say to this girl, God says to you, she said, I'm a prophet. Which is not actually what she'd been taught to say in the class. Don't ever say that. It was a mistake, but God used it. She said, I am a prophet, and the Lord says you're going to be a wonderful mother. (laughs) She didn't know where it came from, what it meant. She was absolutely overcome by embarrassment. The girl behind the counter burst into tears. It turned out that she was with child, she was expecting a baby by her boyfriend. She hadn't told her boyfriend, she had fixed an abortion for Thursday. And on the back of that word from that girl, she cancelled the abortion and her soul was saved. That's what can happen if a, you take... This is, that's Cardinal Sewnens. That's taking a risk. That's having an adventure. That's being ready to play his game. That's being willing to open your life to the unexpected action of the Holy Spirit. What might happen if you were to take a risk? What's the worst that could happen? You feel a bit silly, so... So, who cares, frankly? Take a risk, people. Take a risk. I don't know however many there are in this room tonight. Hundreds and thousands, as far as I can see. I can't see a thing, so I don't know. There could be. But say there were. Let's say there were even, I don't have a clue how many people are in this room. I, say there were 500 of us. I think there are probably more, but I don't want to exaggerate and sin. However, if there were, say there are 1,000, it's easier. 1,000 people, and we were to go from this place, our children too, And ask for the Lord to do something like that happened to the girl in the sandwich shop. A thousand risks taken for Jesus. A thousand possible souls saved. A thousand possible healings take part. A thousand demons sent packing. A thousand people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. A thousand souls saved. What could possibly go wrong? Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Just saying. I suggest it's a really good thing to do when you go home. I saw a man... (laughs) I do I think it's amazing I think it's wonderful the things will God will do with those of us who are ready to play his game do you know it it sounds frivolous when you talk about playing his game but the truth is that praying for the sick and doing the stuff that he wants us to do is the wonderful thing and you remember when Jesus sent out the 72 disciples they came back to him so excited Jesus, we saw this, we saw that. It's amazing what happened. And the verse in Luke chapter 10, I think it is, it said, Jesus, full of joy in the Holy Spirit, because he saw his people playing the game, doing the business, doing the stuff the things that we were born into. This is our birthright. This is our birthright in the vineyard. This is what we were born into. This is what we're for. And this is what we neglected our peril, because this is part of the sacred trust that God has put upon us, to go and to do the things that Jesus did, to take the risks and to see our people changed and our neighbors affected. It's an amazing thing. We're ordinary people, you and I. I mean, I don't want to be rude, but you're as ordinary as most, frankly. We're all very ordinary. That's the beauty of this because empowered by the Holy Spirit, we can be changed from ordinary to extraordinary. We can be made different. We had a neighbor when we were living in Wimbledon and she used to, we traveled a lot, John and I, so the car was often away from the door. And when we would come back, we parked the car and she once said to me, Eleanor, we love it when we see your car back outside the house. Because, she said, the the street feels a better place. Now, that, as you well know, is nothing to do with John and me. Because if it were, I couldn't tell you that story. But I tell you to tell you this, it's the Spirit of God, it's the presence of Jesus living in that street where we lived, whether people actually knew it or not. We carry his presence, people. We carry it within us. It changes ordinary people into extraordinary people. C.S. Lewis once wrote, didn't he, you never met a mere mortal. We're not mere mortals. We can be extraordinary people, filled and changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit confirms us in the truth. The Holy Spirit changes us. And then thirdly, the Holy Spirit comes upon us. He comes upon us. Now, this is the phrase we treat all through the scriptures. The spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. You'll remember Gideon. He was what we in English call a wimp. He was pathetic. He was hiding in the winepress. He was really, really pitiful. And the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he led armies and won victories. The Spirit of the Lord came on Samson. I mean, there's no accounting for who God will use, frankly, because he was a right bad lot. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power in order to do a commission that God had given him to do. In Ephesus, Paul went and asked the believers there about their experience of the Holy Spirit. And they said, well, we haven't even heard about the Holy Spirit. So he laid his hands upon them and they received the Holy Spirit. And later this evening, in fact, in very few minutes, I have no idea of the time, very few minutes, we shall pray for one another, that the Spirit of God would come upon us, that he would fill us again and again and again and again. The famous evangelist, American evangelist D.L. Moody was once asked by a rather stroppy, rather grumpy woman, Miss, uh, Dr. Moody, are you filled with the Holy Spirit, she said. And he very graciously said, yes, madam, I am but I leak. We get drained. We leak the Holy Spirit. We get weary in well-doing. And we need to pray for one another, to lay hands on one another, to invite the Spirit of God to come upon us, yet again, for the 97th time since last week, if necessary, because we cannot do without him. And then, of course, supremely Jesus. Jesus said, you will receive power When the Holy Spirit, what, hovers around you? Broods over you? No, comes upon you. And there's not one of us in this room tonight upon whom the Holy Spirit does not wish to come. I know I'm safe in telling you that. He's so ambitious for us. And so before we do pray for one another, I want to tell you one or two stories. One or two stories which I trust, and I know for me they do, just raise your faith make you realize how much we have going for us people. So there was a conference, okay, recently, well, a little while ago now, in um, in North America, right up on the Canadian border, where it's colder than it's human to be, even colder than here in the winter. And there was a girl there who had suffered terribly as a teenager. She'd gone through dreadful trauma and she had been cutting herself, even cutting dreadful words into her thighs. And she came to know Jesus and she was longing to be, for the spirit of God to come upon her. And she wasn't, I think, even specifically praying for that. But as she worshiped the Lord, the spirit of God came upon her and she came to see us in the coffee break and she ripped up her t-shirt and all the scars had gone. Her flesh was like the flesh of a little child because the Spirit of God had come upon her. And very often we find the Spirit of God comes upon people even in the context of worship. As we worship the Lord, as we focus upon him, as we fall before him, as we cry out to him for his mercy, as we seek his presence, he comes upon us, heals us. Things inside, have you noticed sometimes you find things that have been troubling you or things that have been seemed like huge by the end of worship, I, you forgot what they were. He restores our perspective. He puts things right. He heals us as we worship. Worship is very, very important. um, We had a, a wonderful event recently in our country. And again, it's this thing about the spirit of God is all over the place, people. We are in a season. And there was a woman who'd been deaf from birth who started to hear. Hearing quite, quite clearly And I didn't even realize and was just chatting around, doing the thing, you know, just like this, chattering away. And then somebody came and said, this woman can hear. I said, oh, great. That's nice. Why wouldn't she? And they said, well, she's never heard before. She'd been deaf from birth. And I looked at her and I said, can you? And I was talking like this, I would to you. And I said to her, sort of off, you know, to can you hear what I'm saying? She said, every word, she said, Restored restored. It was just the most wonderful thing. And I've got one story here. I said to John, can I tell you this? This is hysterical. And I'm reading it to you because it's true. In other words, not just me, it's actually true. <clears throat> not that there isn't necessarily, you know, it, that doesn't quite work out. Anyway, this happened in one of our churches, one of the vineyard churches in the north of Scotland, and it's 10 years ago, so it's been a while, but I've hardly dared ever say it. This is not necessarily a ministry model, but it is an example of the Spirit of God coming. A man named Norman, which of course is a miracle to start with. A man named Norman had a friend. Well, I can't, I think he was lucky. (laughs) He had a friend who'd been, that was so indiscreet, who'd been admitted to hospital with serious heart and lung conditions. He was given two to three days to live Norman arrived at church that next Sunday morning very despondent. This was a vineyard church in Scotland. At the end of the service, a young man who'd been a Christian just for six months and another woman decided to pray over a napkin and a paper one at that and then gave it to Norman to give to his friend. A little while later, Norman arrived back at church to say that he had given the napkin to his friend Explaining that people in his church had prayed over it for his healing. That his friend had now been discharged from hospital, was up, dressed, and back at his computer. (laughs) Totally healed. Totally healed, having had a napkin, a paper napkin, prayed over by a vineyard church in the north of Scotland. What do you do with that? As I say, it's not a precedent for ministry. I don't suggest you will make a rush for the Kleenex tissues or the napkins or whatever, but it's just an example, people, of being imaginative, of being risk-taking, of of just doing, you know, sometimes slightly bizarre things. You know, Norman took a risk. His friends took a risk. A life was saved. We have a wonderful friend, John Now you've probably heard his name, J. John, who is a fantastic evangelist. He's led hundreds and thousands of people to Jesus all around the world. He's just fabulous. And he and his wife had a next-door neighbor, and she had had a severe stroke and was in hospital on life support and was not expected to live. And John and his wife, Killy, said you know, to her husband, might we go to visit her? We'd love to. She, we've always been very fond of her. And she was dying, and the family had been summoned in order to say their farewells, and they were going to turn the machines off after the family had left. So John and Kelly went because they felt really sad and she was a neighbor and all of that. So they got into the room and there she was lying as if dead with all the wires and the bleeps and so forth. And they didn't know what to do. They were slightly overwhelmed by the whole thing. So they took one of her hands each and the two of them then held hands. so a little triangle. And they simply said, Our Father who art in heaven, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And she sat up. She sat up and she went home a couple of days later and she was completely better because they took a risk. Because they did something they were extremely uncomfortable to do in a hospital room. So I think what I'm saying is when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, he can convince us that this is true. He can fill us and equip us He can change us from being little Gideon's hanging in the wine press to somebody who'll take a risk and go to a hospital and pray for the kingdom to come. It's amazing what he will do. I met a woman recently, again in the north of Scotland. She was due to have surgery on her shoulder due to an injury which had led to several um, dislocations. It kept being dislocated. And a group of people prayed for her, and she went back to her surgeon Following another x-ray, the surgery was canceled because there was no more injury. We serve a God who is faithful, who can heal, who loves to join with us, who loves it when we play his game, who wants to fill us and equip us with his Holy Spirit. John and I have a wonderful friend who came actually to speak at our National Leaders Conference. Some of you were probably there. He was a man called Greg Thompson. He, was, um, he was a, is an American Presbyterian minister. And for him, the whole vineyard thing was an eye-opener. It's a different tradition from which they come. But he was an amazing expositor of the scriptures. And he was a huge blessing to our people. But he went home and he reported to his Presbyterian church in Virginia. And he said this. Those vineyard people, he said, really do expect God to turn up. His presence is an expected reality. do you love that? His presence is an expected reality. We expect him to come when we call out. Come, Holy Spirit. And the last thing I want to tell you... Is about a wonderful hero of ours, Johns and mine, who again, is someone you may have heard, the Archbishop of Canterbury. He's our current Archbishop. He's a man called Justin Welby. He and I imagine Pope Francis have the two most unenviable jobs in the world, terribly difficult jobs. And Justin is an amazing, good, godly, righteous, biblical Christian man and a dear friend and just before he took up his post as Archbishop of Canterbury, he was on his way to Lambeth, and we said to him, John said to him, is there any way, Justin, that you would come and visit our national leaders on your way from the north of England, where he'd been serving as a bishop in Durham, on the way down to, um, to Canterbury? And Justin wonderfully said, John, I'd love to come. And we said to him, we would love you to come because we would love to pray for you, Justin. And of course, we'd love you to pray for us. So he did, and he was marvellous. And John interviewed him and Caroline, his wife, who'd been friends of ours for a long, long time. And it was very sweet. And at the end, we said to him, Justin, if there was one thing that you would do, say to the vineyard, what would this be? And these were his words. And I've taken them to be a word for the vineyard from one of the most influential Christians in the Christian world. And he said this, Vineyard, never, ever, ever pull back on the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a great word? God, we ask for that to be the truth. Lord, we ask that we would never, ever, ever pull back on the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we're going to ask you now to come and to bless us and to fill us, and to come upon us, and to equip us for works of ministry, that we might go out in the power of your spirit to live and to work to your praise and glory. And the people of the Nordic Vineyard said loudly, Amen, Amen, Amen. Why don't you stand? You have been listening to the Vineyard Nordic podcast. For more information, please visit the Vineyard Nordic's website, vineyardnordic.org.